Starting in Romans chapter 6, again we are going to look at really just one key aspect of living the Christian life. Again, this is not going to be exhaustive, but I do hope that this is a great encouragement to all of us, whether, whether you're a new believer or whether you can look back and say, well, it was 20, 30, 40 years ago, 50 years ago when I made my profession of faith and I've been living as a Christian for that long. I think it does us well, all of us, to sometimes be reminded of, of some of the, the simplistic truths of what it is to be a Christian. And what it is to live a Christian life. So, the thing we're going to look at specifically today is simply this. To live the Christian life is to live a life where we are free from sin. Meaning that we're free from the power and bondage of sin. And we're also free from the penalty of sin. And we'll see why we'll flesh out a little bit why that's so important for us to grasp as Christians. Uh, for us to say that we have been born again and we are uh, now justified before God, it means we've, we've come under the promise that there is, there is no condemnation for us now in Christ Jesus. All of the sins that we've ever committed, we will never pay for any of them, not even one of them. Because Christ paid for them perfectly upon the cross and He received the punishment for those sins upon the cross. We're also, when it comes to living the Christian life, we are free from the power and the bondage of sin. As an unregenerate person, as an unsaved person, Scripture labels us and says that we are slaves to sin. He who sins is a slave of sin. To be a Christian is to be one who has been set free from sin. We no longer have to obey sin. We as believers can choose, intentionally, willfully choose. We can uh, stare temptation in the face, if you will, and say, No, you are not my master any longer. I serve the Lord through the power of Jesus Christ. We are free from sin. And so, I want to focus on that point today. And we will flesh it out. We'll talk about some other things, but it's all going to hinge upon that truth that we have been set free from sin. We are no longer under the law. Following the Ten Commandments, following earthly rules, saying, well, I go to church, I tithe, I, I give my time, I give my money, I, I serve in the church, I do this. No amount of rule following... No amount of law following can save us. As believers, as those who are saved, we are under grace. And we're picking Paul up in mid-stride here. We're six chapters into Romans and he's already making some strong arguments here. So we're picking, him, picking up this argument in mid-stride. And verse 1 of chapter 6 says, What shall we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And so that's a, a hypothetical rebuttal to the fact that Paul is making the point that if we are saved, we're under grace. We have been overtaken. We have been consumed. We have been changed. We have been born again because of the grace of God. And there is no sin that can overcome the grace of God. And so a rebuttal to that 
in this, in this time when Paul was writing this letter, but also still today. People might make the comment, oh, so you're one of those folks, you think we can just sin and do whatever we want because we're covered by God's grace. So, so what, you think we should just keep on sinning because God's going to forgive us? And Paul says, by no means. In other translations, it literally says, God forbid. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Just because we as Christians know that God's grace has saved us, that we are forgiven, that we are free from sin, just because we know about amazing grace, how sweet the sound, does that mean that we can that we are to just go off, live however we want to live, sin as much as you want to sin because of grace? And the biblical response to that is, God forbid, by no means. And Paul follows that up with this. How can we who died to sin still live in it? I want you to think about your Christian life since you have made a profession of faith. I've spent a good deal of time this week in prepping for this sermon, really thinking about that. I want all of us to consider that together. All of us will probably be able to say, well, I've had highs and lows in my Christian walk. I've had some ups and downs. Had some mountaintop experiences, some valley experiences. But I want us to focus on the question that Paul just asked. How can we who died to sin still live in it? As believers, it's really easy for us to go to all of the things pertaining to, well, Christ was crucified, buried, He's risen again. We are risen with Christ. We have new life in Christ. We're free from the penalty of sin. There's no condemnation. We're going to heaven. You know, we're... Christ has done the work. We're saved. But in the here and now, in the present, at this moment, tomorrow when you wake up, the next day when you wake up, it is going to be true that if we are truly saved, if we have been born again, we are dead to sin. And so the question is, if we are dead to sin, how could we possibly live in it? We as believers should not make excuses For our sin, we should not seek to justify our sin. We shouldn't seek to be comfortable in our sin. If we have been born again, we are dead to sin. Therefore, how could we live in it? We were buried, or sorry, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The Christian life is one that is marked by the fact that we we ought to be able to say, well, before I was saved, I was like this. Or before I was saved, I lived in this manner of living. Or before I was converted, before Christ, I was this particular way. And then I was saved. Then I was born again. Then I repented of my sin and placed my faith in Jesus Christ. And I've been walking in newness of life ever since. There should be a contrast between our old life and the new life which we now live. Now that may look different for different folks. Some people are saved out of drug and alcohol abuse. Some people are saved out of broken homes and and grievous sins that we would label them in this life. But some people are just saved out of 
Again, we label things. Some people are saved out of simple sins like being angry, being bitter, being jealous over things, being greedy, being unkind, being ungracious, being un- lacking compassion. Things that don't look like drug and alcohol abuse and partying and being a womanizer or sleeping around. Things that, that don't look like that on the outside, but inwardly, jealous, prideful, boastful, arrogant, greedy, lacking compassion. But the bottom line is this. For a believer, we should say, we were buried with Christ. We are risen with Christ. There's an old man that is dead. And the new man is now alive in Christ Jesus. Therefore, in the newness of life that we have been raised up to, how dare we continue to live in the sin that we once walked in? Verse 5 now. If we have been united with Him in a death like His... We shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Mentioned that earlier. No longer is the Christian enslaved to sin. Before Christ, before conversion, we are enslaved to sin. When we are born again, when we are raised up to walk in newness of life, we are no longer enslaved to sin. To sin. For no one who has died, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. And alive to God in Christ Jesus. In the same way that Jesus died once, but will never die again. As believers, we are to consider ourselves that way. For example, I can use myself. Caleb Folsom has died once. I've died to sin. And I will never die again because Christ has given me eternal life. You say, well, Caleb, you're going to die physically. You're absolutely right. But that's not what we're discussing here. That's not the death that we're talking about. A true believer, someone who has been born again, will certainly never die. Because we are given eternal life through Christ Jesus. How could one who possesses eternal life ever die? They cannot. So Paul here is saying, you likewise, in the same way that Jesus Christ died once for sin, and He will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Is that how we consider ourselves as believers? Do we think of this often? If we're not in the habit of reminding ourselves of this often, I would submit that we ought to be. Do we look at ourselves in the mirror and say, Caleb Folsom is dead to sin. Caleb Folsom has died. Now you don't look in the mirror and say, Caleb Folsom. You look in the mirror and you say yourself. Okay. But do we acknowledge that on a daily basis? 
Do we reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus? So, the Christian life so far, what we've covered, we're free from sin. We are risen with Christ. We've been buried with Him. And we're risen with Him. Now think about our baptism service and then the sermon that was preached a couple weeks ago. But in a typical baptism, you're probably going to hear the preacher say that. And if you were there this past Sunday, you heard me say that. Buried in His likeness, raised to walk in newness of life. Buried in His likeness. What does that mean? Jesus Christ died. And the death that He died, He died unto sin. Once for all. Buried in His likeness. Raised to walk in newness of life. We know as believers, we will also see a bodily resurrection. When we die on this earth and we're laid into the ground, that does nothing to hinder the fact that in the new heavens and the new earth, we will be physically glorified. We will have physically glorified bodies. We will be resurrected. We will be fully redeemed, body and soul. But it's that in-between space that we're talking about this morning. Because as a believer, you can say, Caleb, I know that I'm saved and I know that I'm going to heaven. I know that I'm saved and I believe in the hope of a bodily resurrection. Okay? So, we see the start line. We were saved. You could say that's the starting line. We see the finish line. We will be in heaven. We will be in glory. But what we're talking about today is the in-between. The race that we are to run... Between the start line and the finish line. And I know that most of us, if we're, if we're being honest, well, if we were forced to be honest, it would be all of us. But most of us, without any coercion, we would just openly admit, yeah, that in-between, that race that I've been running for one year, two years, ten years, 15, that race that I've been running as a Christian, I think there's sometimes that I wasn't even on the track. And I, and I had to be brought back and, and be brought back to the racetrack. It gets difficult. The Christian life is not something that is easy. Regardless of what people, false teachers and, and false doctrine, regardless of what might, people might be trying to shove down your throat and convince you is true, the Christian life is not a life of ease. The Christian life, being saved, turning your life over to Jesus, doesn't mean that life is just going to be a bed of roses from here on out. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm a Christian, so I've got God on my side. That means all of my plans, all of my endeavors, God is just going to cause them to prosper and succeed. No. Jesus Christ Himself said, foxes have holes, birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. Paul told Timothy that all who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. I could go on, I'll just I'll stop with those two. We could just consider the lives of particular believers. Consider Jesus Christ Himself. What did His earthly life look like? Consider the apostles. What did their earthly lives look like? Was it easy? What about Paul himself? Was stoned and lived through it? Shipwrecked? Imprisoned? Falsely, well, falsely accused, imprisoned. That's just the abundant life, amen? It is the abundant life. But not the way that the false teachers and false doctrines would have you understand it or believe it. 
The Christian life is difficult at times. If we're all honest, we would say there's been times in our lives, even as a Christian, where we doubted the promises of God. Where we lacked faith. There's been times in our lives where we felt far from God. And as the old saying goes, I know we probably all heard this. As the old saying goes, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? Right? And in those moments where we felt far from God or we felt distant from God, it could very well be that we we had made some sinful decisions or we were living a pattern of sin in our life, even as a Christian. Or it could simply be that there was a trial in our life. And scripturally speaking, we're told to count it all joy when various trials and tribulations come our way, but but we stumbled in that regard because there's been trials in our lives that all we were trying to do was to get out of them. We weren't praying to God for wisdom. We weren't asking God to help grow us and to sanctify us. We were just trying to get out of that trial and we lacked faith and we were, we were fighting against God in the midst of those trials. The Christian life is hard. And I want everybody to understand this. It's okay to admit that. This is, this is, not, necess- this is not a point that I wrote down in my, in my notes here, but now that we're on the topic, I know the area in which we lived. I was raised here too. And I know that sometimes there is a pressure from others, but sometimes the pressure is from within ourselves. We just feel like we're supposed to always tell people, we're good, life is good. We're, we're fine. Yeah, everything's good. Hey, God's good. God's good. Amen? And we feel like we're not allowed to tell people, I'm struggling. I'm not Okay. It's okay to say as a Christian, I'm struggling. I know what God's Word says, but church family, I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time trusting in the promises of God. I'm having a hard time keeping the faith. I'm feeling low. It's okay to admit that there's hard times as a Christian. Paul t- told the ch- church at Corinth that it got so bad in their life one time that they despaired of life itself. You know what that means? Paul was basically saying, we'd have been better off dead. We despaired of life itself. Paul said that. I know that a lot of times we feel pressure to just pretend. Everything's great. Everything's good. I'm not, Oh, a good Christian is never supposed to say anything negative. Baloney. By the way, it's not negative to be honest if you're struggling. That's not a negative. That's honesty. That's the truth. Okay? Like I said, this is not a point in the sermon, so I'm going to wrap it up here. But maybe somebody needed to hear that. It is okay to say you are struggling in the faith. It's not okay to lie and pretend... That everything's hunky-dory when you're not actually walking in the faith and you're not actually believing that. That's not okay. We need to be honest with one another. So the the in-between phase between here and heaven. We know that we're saved. We know we're going to be in heaven. But it's that in-between phase called life that sometimes gets hard. Our life lived here on this earth. It is not easy. It is war. 
By the way, Scripture says that. In the book of Romans, the flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. Okay? Is war easy? I know that most of you are like, well, I've never been to war. You don't, that's one of those things you don't have to. Like, you don't have to be in a war to figure out if war is hard or easy. Right? War is not easy. The flesh and the spirit are at war. You know what that means? The Christian life is not easy. It's warfare. How should we live and how should we think in the in-between? How should we live and how should we think between salvation and being in glory with the Father? How should we live and how should we think in that in-between phase? That's what we're focusing on this morning. Now, a lot of questions arise. Typically, a new believer may fall into the trap of thinking, and even sometimes older believers, seasoned believers, uh, some people are offended by the word old. It's 2023, people are offended by everything. So I'll say seasoned believers. Seasoned believers fall into this trap as well. We as Christians, sometimes we start to think like, can I? Well, I'm a Christian. Can I do this anymore? I'm a Christian. Am I allowed to? Can I do this? Am I allowed to do this? Am I breaking the rules if I do this? Just, some of y'all are smiling. So just by show of hands or nod your head. How many of you have been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and you've thought like that before? Can I do that? Am I allowed to do that? Guess what? A Christian is free. We're free from sin. But, as we talked about earlier, that doesn't mean you just get to do whatever you want. But it should change the way that you think. And here's why. When we start to buy into that mindset of, can I? Am I allowed to? We've just brought ourselves right back to the law. Can I? Am I allowed to? Where's the law that tells me if I can or can't? Where's the rule that tells me if I can or can't? We don't live by the law. We don't live by the rule of the letter anymore. We're under grace. Paul told the church at Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, apparently they were going around saying this a lot, all things are lawful. All things are lawful. Now, on the one hand, that's true for the Christian. We're free. Now hear me. Don't think that your preacher is off his rocker. As a Christian, we're free to do whatever. You say, Caleb, there's, stuff, there's clearly some stuff in Scripture we're not supposed to do. I agree with you. My point is, that's not how we should think. Can I? Am I allowed to? Am I allowed to do this? Can I do this? That's thinking under the law. Where's the law that I need to follow? Where's the rule that I need? We're free. And when we buy into that mindset, we're thinking as people who are under the law. You say, okay, Caleb, so how should we think? What do I want to do? Now, I worded it that way on purpose. And I saw some of your eyebrows raised when I said that just now. But for the Christian, I firmly believe that what we should ask ourselves in making decisions, in, in uh, making new decisions, in changing some of the aspects of our lives and, and making some adjustments, the question really should be, what do I want to do? I'm not under the law anymore. I'm under grace. I'm free from sin. What do I want to do? 
And I think some of the reasons that some of you raised your eyebrows when I said that just now is because you may be thinking to yourself, well, I know there's still days, I've got days today where I want to do something that I know is wrong. I've got days where I want to say something to somebody that I know ain't right. And Caleb, you're telling me that we ought to just think, what do I want to do and we should do that? Not necessarily. I told you I worded it that way on purpose. Make sure you're awake and paying attention. And you are. All of you are, all of you are looking at me very closely right now. It's a good thing. Let me give you the longer version of that question. What do I want to do? That's the short version. I want to give you a longer version that I wrote down in my notes. As a sinner who has been saved and set free from sin, a sinner who is now clothed in the righteousness of Christ, what do I want to do? Does that kind of put it in perspective more? As a sinner who has been saved by grace, set free from sin, and is now clothed in the righteousness of Christ, what do I want to do? Now I believe that would lead us to make much wiser biblical decisions. Reminding ourselves of who we are as a believer. As a Christian, we are someone who's been saved by grace, set free from sin, and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Now what do you want to do? To use a, to use a very simplistic example, imagine that, and, and some of this may happen to you all, but if it did happen to you, I'm not using this as an example because I know that it happened to you. Because I wasn't around when a lot of you all were raising your children. But let's suppose that we had a child that they were getting old enough to start making some of their own decisions and they were making some poor decisions and we knew that as a parent. And we go to them and we say, Son, what do you want to do? And they give us their answer. And we think to ourselves, as their daddy or as their mama, I know that's not a good answer. And so then we might, we might add some truths onto that statement before we ask them again. We might say, okay, son, as my son and your mama's son, who loves you, who takes care of you, who has raised you and taught you what the truth is, who lets you live under our roof, who pays your bills, Make sure you have clothes on your back and in today's world. Pays your cell phone bill, this, that, and the other. I'm going to ask you again, what do you want to do? In hopes that our child would make a more informed decision. That's the importance of reminding ourselves what it really is to be a Christian. Because we are free. And there are people still today that say, well, because we're free, you really can just do whatever you want to do. And they just leave it at that. Hey, you're saved. God will forgive you. Do whatever you want to do. And that is not what we support because that's not what the Scripture supports. However, a Christian, we are allowed to think, well, what do I want to do? But if that question raises your eyebrows like it did a few, a few moments ago, 
then ask the long version of the question. And I'll add to that this. If you are the person that you say, well, what do I want to do? And then in a moment of clarity, and you're having a conversation with yourself, you think, well, what I want to do is not right. I, in this moment, I acknowledge that what I feel like doing, what I want to do, is sinful and wrong. Then ask yourself the longer question. As a guilty sinner saved by grace and set free from sin, a sinner who has been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, now what do you want to do? And that truth of who we are as a believer, that truth of of the fact that we've been set free and we've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and we think, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've been set free from choosing sin. I've been set free from making all of these poor decisions and doing all these wrong things. And I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I live to God. I'm dead to sin, alive to God through Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, that's who I am now. I'm not who I was. This is who I am now. Saved by grace, freed from sin, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This decision I'm making just became a whole lot easier. I know the right thing to do. And this is what I want to do. And that leads me to the second reason why I phrased the question that way. I'm not the first preacher to say this. You may have heard it before. But I am going to say it today. Being a Christian is not living a life of not doing what you secretly want to do and doing the stuff that you secretly hate doing. That is not what the Christian life is supposed to be. And if that is the Christian life that you're living, I would submit that at the very least, you still have a foundational misunderstanding of the gospel and there may even be a good chance that you're still dead in your sins. The Christian life is not meant to be a life lived where we're not doing the things that we secretly want to do and we're doing the things that we secretly hate doing. That is not Christian living. Never has been. Never will be. The Christian is someone... We will have our ups and downs. We'll have our ebbs and our flows. But the Christian life is lived by someone who has a desire, who wants to honor God. Who freely wants to choose to honor God and to live for Him. You say, Caleb, how can we know that that is true? Paul says in Philippians that we are to work out our own salvation for it's God who works within us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God has actually given His people the desire to honor Him and want to do what's right. God's people, true believers, are not people who honor God and hate it, who serve God and hate it, who secretly don't want to be in church. They'd rather be anywhere else. They don't want to read their Bible. They'd rather do anything than read the Bible. They don't want to pray. They'd rather talk to anybody else than talk to you. That's not the Christian life. So yes, the Christian ought to be able to say, okay, what do I want to do in this situation? Because the Christian, the true believer, is going to come to a place where they say, I want to honor God with this decision. What honors God? That's what I want to do. And in those moments where that, not, that might not be our first response, we might think, well, when that person cut me off in traffic, I did not want to do something that honored God. 
Well, when my husband said that to me, I did not want to treat my husband in ways that honors God. And vice versa. When my wife said that to me, I did not want to treat my wife in ways that honored God. What do we do in those moments? You say, okay. What do I want to do? Well, right now I want to do something that doesn't... Okay, let me remind myself. Let me go back to that longer version. As a sinner saved by grace, freed from sin, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, now what do I want to do? Now what do I want to do? Have we as believers come to a point in our lives where we can say, or where we have said, I am dead, yet at the same time, my life is just beginning. You say, that seems a little paradoxical. How can both of those two things be true? Because we're dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. So have we as Christians, have we come to the place where we can honestly say, there was a time when I died, and at that same exact moment that I died, my life truly began. Have we come to that place? To close out the sermon, I want to make an Old Testament connection here. You don't have to turn anywhere in the Scriptures. I just want to make this reference. I know that most of us will be able to to kind of envision this in our minds and, and we'll recollect the passage. If we were to turn to the book of Exodus and, and study God's redemption of His people out of Egypt. We know that God rescued His people out of Egypt and they were on their way to the promised land. Okay, So, redemption out of Egypt, that's the starting point, right? They got out of Egypt and God said, we're going to the promised land. That's the finish line. And in between Egypt and the promised land, we have the wilderness years. Now, if you're even a little bit familiar with the full story of the Exodus, the wilderness years were not pretty. They weren't easy. And the people of Israel did a lot of silly stuff. A lot of sinful stuff. Like question God. Like tell Moses they wanted to go back to Egypt. Like tell Moses, oh, is this what God did? God brought us out here to die? Questioning God, doubting God, complaining. God gave them literal manna from heaven, a supernatural provision from heaven so that that they would not starve. And after a while, they complained about that. We're tired of this manna. Or something else. God gave them water from a rock. I'll let you figure that one out. When was the last time you said, I'm thirsty, I'm going to go get some rocks? God gave them water from from a rock. And not too long after that, they were complaining to Moses again, we're going to die of thirst. We're going to die of hunger. God just brought us out here so that we could die. The starting line, they were brought out of Egypt. That was a glorious experience. Parting of the Red Sea. Singing praises to God. The finish line is the promised land. God said He's leading us to the promised land. Finally, we get to go to the promised land. But then there's the wilderness years. There's the in-between. It was hard. It was tedious. Oh yeah, there was idol worship in there as well. 
as Moses is getting the Ten Commandments, they're building idols and worshiping idols at the foot of the mountain. It was not pretty. But during those wilderness years, we also see the faithfulness of God to His people and to His promises. And I'm bringing all of this up as an encouragement to you and an encouragement to myself. Because many of us, if we say, okay, Caleb, if you're trying to get us to make a connection between Israel's wilderness years and our own lives here on this earth, I'm starting to see the connection. Israel did a lot of silly, foolish stuff. Israel doubted God sometimes. Israel lacked faith in God sometimes. I'm kind of guilty of the same. If I'm being honest, I'm a little bit guilty of the same. If you're still having a hard time making the connection, let me also say this. In the New Testament, we're told that we are sojourners and we are exiles here on this earth. So you could say, our salvation is the starting line. The finish line is the promised land. But our promised land, what, what we would acknowledge as the promised land, is glory with the Father. So we're exile, we're, we are exiles in the wilderness, in a place that is not our own, until we reach the promised land. Okay, So maybe that will help kind of cement the connection even more so. But if you say, okay, like Israel did some boneheaded stuff in the wilderness. I've done some boneheaded stuff. I've been a numbskull. I've been a knucklehead. Do not forget that in the wilderness we also saw God's faithfulness. God did give them manna from heaven. God did give them water from a rock. Did they deserve it? No. But He provided. When they were guilty of idolatry, when they were worshiping idols, God in His wrath and in His anger, He was going to destroy. But there was an intercessor. And it was the man that God had appointed to lead the children of Israel. It was Moses. He interceded on their behalf. Much like we today have an intercessor who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Starting to see all the connections. He gave them manna. He gave them water. He gave them an intercessor. That even in their lowest spot, the whole nation had an intercessor who said, No, God, don't. Don't forget your promises. He gave them His very Word. He gave Moses the Ten Commandments to present to the people. He gave His people His Word. He gave His people His presence. Once the tabernacle was constructed, we know that in the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, that was where the presence of God dwelt. Where does the Spirit of the presence of God dwell now? In us. He has not left us alone. He has given us His Word. And He has given us His Spirit, His presence within us. And despite all of Israel's shortcomings and sinfulness and foolishness in the wilderness, God brought His promises to completion and to fulfillment. You say, Caleb, exactly how is that meant to encourage us? I'm following you a little bit, but how exactly? You really just try to bring it home. I'll try to bring it home. We're going to do a lot of boneheaded stuff in the wilderness. Most of us would probably say, I've already done some boneheaded stuff in the wilderness. First and foremost, where we started this sermon, do not use the fact 
that we are still in the flesh and in our flesh dwells no good thing, we should never use that as an excuse for our sin. Well, I'm just human. I mean, we're just human. We're going to do stuff. No. We should say what? We're free from sin. Clothed in the righteousness of God. Clothed in the righteousness of Christ. What do I want to do? I want to honor Him. I want to glorify Him. But even when we fall in the wilderness, even when we turn away from God in the wilderness, it does not mean that God is going to turn away from us. God is still faithful. If you look throughout all of Scripture, no matter how many times Israel turned away from Him, He never turned away from His people. He is faithful. In Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that we can do on this side of heaven where God's going to say, that's it, I'm separating myself from you. If we belong to God through Jesus Christ, nothing can separate us from that love. Take courage in that. Well, what do we do when we fall short? What do we do when we sin? We go to Him because we have an advocate with the Father. Our intercessor is our advocate with the Father. He's the only mediator between God and man. And He has told us that He's the Good Shepherd and He has laid down His life for us. Nothing that we do here on this earth is going to hinder God from bringing His promises that we will be with Him in glory to completion and to fulfillment. We will be with Him where He is. Everything worked to bring them to the promised land. God never forsook them. And God continued to fulfill His promises. We are told... You're in Romans. because I, I Well, you, you might be. I said you didn't have to turn to the Old Testament. If you got curious, maybe you went to the Old Testament. But just turn one, maybe two pages in Romans and go to, and go to chapter 8. You all hear me say this all the time. I just said it in Sunday school earlier again. During the in-between time... Our life here on this earth, we have a firm promise from God that all things work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. And you could look at the nation of Israel and say, the wilderness, all of the mistakes, everything, it still worked out for good because they made it to the promised land. Now, there was a generation that died in the wilderness, but the nation of Israel... Made it to the promised land. It all worked for good. And all of the times that Israel rebelled against God in the Old Testament, all of the times they turned aside to idols and didn't worship God, all of the times they fell short, how did that work for good? Well, those are the things that ultimately led to Christ being born. And it still worked together for their good. That they truly would be with Him. Those that were true Israel, that they truly would be with Him for all eternity. How does it work for us now? In our lives now? Even the moments where we fall short. Even the trials, even the tribulations, even the sufferings. It all works together for good because He is sanctifying us and He is molding us into the image of Jesus Christ which He has called us to be. So verse 28 and 29 of Romans 8. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. To be conformed to the image of His Son. 
Everything is working for our sanctification and to mold us into that image of Jesus Christ. In the in-between, we may sometimes find ourselves, along with Paul, at the very end of chapter 7, Paul says this. Verse 19, For I do not... For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? If you ever find yourself along with Paul right there and you say, I'm a Christian and I want to do what right, what's right, but sometimes I feel like the stuff that I want to do, I don't do it. And the stuff that I want to stop doing, I still do that stuff. Some of us may be able to say, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. But if we get to the point that along with Paul, we say, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body, this flesh of death? If we've ever been to that point where we've been fighting sin and we've been striving to honor God and we're seeking that, but we just feel defeated at every turn. The things I want to do, I don't do them. Things I don't want to do, I do it. I'm weak. Who will deliver me? Even if it gets that low, we have the promise that He will deliver us. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The starting line is our salvation. The finish line is the eternal glory with Him, with our Savior and our Father forever. The in-between, this life here on earth is hard. We should be at war with sin. We should be fighting sin. But we need to acknowledge we're free from sin. We don't have to obey sin. What do we want to do? That's how we should make our decisions. What do I want to do in this situation? How do I want to respond? What do I want? And if in the moments we find ourselves saying, Oh, I want something, but I know that's wrong because I know what God says. I know that's not going to honor God, so what do I really want? Oh yeah, that's right. I've been set free from sin. I'm saved by grace, set free from sin. Clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So now that I've reminded myself who I am in Christ Jesus, what do I really want? And we seek to serve Him and we seek to honor and glorify Him in all that we say and do. And even in our lowest points, we have the promises of God and the faithfulness of God to rest in and to glory in and say, even when I fall short, even when I'm, even when I'm faithless, God remains faithful. And He will finish the work that He has started in me and He will finish the work that He has started in all of the body of believers. So I pray that when we think about the Christian life, that we will be encouraged in considering that we're free from sin, no longer enslaved to sin, that we are dead to sin, raised to new life in Christ Jesus. And if we stumble and we fall just like the Israelites did in the Old Testament, and we will, that what we need to focus on more than our own shortcomings is God's faithfulness and His steadfast love which endures forever. He has called us to Himself. He is sanctifying us. We will be with Him in glory forever. Focus on these things as we live the Christian life and as we live the Christian life together. Let's close in a word of prayer.